Hey, so just before we start the show, just a little note to say that we will be releasing new episodes of the Fair Work podcast every two weeks on Alternative Wednesdays. So make sure to check back or subscribe if you like what you hear. Also, just a note to say that I would love to hear from you if you do listen to the podcast. I'm in my house making these episodes and, well, can be a bit lonely. If you've got any thoughts, suggestions, or just want to say hello, please do get in touch. My email is in the episode description below. Oh, also just a note to say that this episode does include some light cursing. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Mm, alive and well, I guess. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> two weeks ago, I connected with two couriers based in Berlin, Germany. Uh, one second, let me just turn off WhatsApp because yeah, yeah, it's making a lot of noise, I think, and Telegram too. They work for the delivery company Gorillas Technologies. So, okay, my name is Zeynep. Yeah, and you just want first name? Yeah, make it simple, you know? Yeah, yeah, make it more cool. informal. <laughs> Great, yeah. cool. For me, I guess we can go by Yasha. Yasha, Great, okay, cool. Perfect. Yeah. Gorillas operates a grocery service, offering to deliver supermarket goods to your door in 10 minutes. It takes the model of the dark kitchen used by platforms like Deliveroo, creating localised warehouses around the city, enabling the rapid rollout of consumer products. It's a company whose business model varies from that of many of the other companies that make up the gig economy. It employs workers directly, and many workers are paid hourly as they make deliveries around the city on company-provided bikes. In this sense, it does differ considerably from the model adopted by many other transnational platforms, which operate by seeking to outsource as many of the costs onto the workers themselves. For Zeynep, moving to Germany from Turkey to study, initially it seemed like a great opportunity. At first it was perfect to me, seriously, because as I was new in Germany, I was comparing everything with Turkey. And although, for example, um, I completed my bachelor's in Turkey, I mean, and I am a writer here as a part-time worker, I was earning much more than what I would earn back in my country. So it was a, I saw it like a very good opportunity as a, uh, to begin. And then it all happened. <laughs> Last month, Gorillas riders in Berlin went on strike, blockading warehouses around the city and stoking international media coverage. The company, which in under a year of operating, has managed to achieve a market valuation of a billion US dollars, finally started to come up against the collective will of its riders. I'm Robbie Warren, and this week on the Fair Work podcast, we are exploring the company Gorillas Technologies, one of the fastest growing startups in Europe. It's a company with massive plans for expansion and is growing at a breakneck speed. We'll hear from Zeynep and Yasha about their experiences of the strikes, as well as looking at what the rise of these companies says about the ways in which technologies are reshaping labour markets. I hope you enjoy the show. On the 9th of June, as he came to the end of his shift, a guerrillas rider known as Santiago was approached by a member of management staff. According to accounts from the rider himself that circulated on social media, he was fired on the spot 
without explanation. Zainab remembers finding out about the firing. Uh, we had several groups on WhatsApp, on Telegram, and uh, one of the workers uh, wrote this situation in one group. I don't know, I was sleeping at home. And then Yasha called me, for example, and told me that they fired somebody in Checkpoint Charlie Warehouse. And when I heard that, I just started to write all the groups, everybody that I can find while I was going to the warehouse. And when we met there, I saw a lot of people from different warehouses and we just found each other there in front of this warehouse. It was all organic and not planned at all. But Yasha describes how the strikes were rooted in a longer term movement based on strong connections formed between riders. There was there are basically two major periods in this company, I can say, in terms of socialization. Um, like before March, before like mid-March, we would work in multiple warehouses. So like one person would have one shift in one place, one shift in another place. Like you choose two or three warehouses where you work at and you'd be there. So, and then like, for example, in one of the warehouse, you have like another colleague who would work in this warehouse and then another one where you don't work. So it was really easy to like reach out to a lot of people since everyone had like, um, like, how can I say? There was a lot of like different connections on different levels. Um, afterwards, of course, they changed the rule um, or like they put you in a single warehouse and you had to stick in that warehouse, therefore like isolating us from each other, from co- talking to each other, from even knowing each other. And uh, like the people who started there like much like before March, at least, um, there was still a sort of like network uh, where we could reach out to each other and ask some questions and these people knew about it. So like uh, some of the bigger news that would be spread through uh, these channels, WhatsApp groups, Telegram groups, whatever. And um, this is also how it happens. So, like our colleagues uh, from Charlie, um, like not the person who got fired, but um, I mean, his friends reached out to the rest of us and uh, say like explain the situation and it was generally like uh, people were then saying hey let's go there let's go to that warehouse let's see what we can do yeah, yeah. when i first uh, went there actually so people were talking to each other and then just to note that sound is from a lighter as yasha lights a cigarette and then we just uh, had a we just had a small meeting with the workers there and we decided to block the warehouse because we somehow had to show our reaction to the management because in our friend's case he didn't get any warning as this situation happened without any reason we knew that this situation can happen to any one of us if we don't show our reaction we can experience the very same thing there was also um, no reason giving for the termination. It was within the probation. It was at the very end of the probation period, actually. He was five months in. Gorillas operates a six-month probationary period, within which it's much easier for riders to be fired. Or something along those lines. There was no reason giving, and the company also had uh, instated some sort of policy where they give you three warnings or two warnings. I think it was actually two warnings before you're fired. And this person did not have any warnings. If not reinstated, at least the reason for his termination should have been disclosed. And that was the main demand. 
but um, that was not done. Um, the management was saying due to uh, reasons, um, personal reasons or whatever, we, we, like they were saying that they don't want um, um, to get this individual in trouble by uh, disclosing the reason. And instead of providing a reason, there were actually a lot of rumors that were spread by um, some uh, low-level managers. By the way, we tried to talk to the management a lot during the first during uh, during the first strike i mean but the thing is that we couldn't get any reply and after a while we made another meeting and we decided that if they don't reply us if they didn't reply us we can just go to another warehouse and we can do the same thing we can again block the warehouse and we talked to the management we told them that if they uh, wouldn't reinstate our friends we were going to block another warehouse what followed was three days of strikes, as the workers moved around the city, picketing warehouses to contest the firing of their colleague, using various tactics to disrupt the company's operations. Yasha told me how the strikes were one of the first times that workers felt able to express themselves freely. Like people were feeling more comfortable talking to each other in this kind of situation, um, or even if management was right, like even if the companies like top lawyer and like top managers were standing right next to them because they saw that the management cannot really do anything, cannot really control the situation anyway. To me, actually, it was really amazing because it was like the power of the solidarity of workers were concrete, were something concrete. I cannot even describe it because workers were together and they were so powerful together that the company got kind of afraid of us, afraid of the workers. Uh, we always say that the company cares about their image a lot. And I mean, you can see it but if you watch the advertisements of the companies, they try to create this cool image. And when we first blocked the warehouse in Checkpoint Charlie, the warehouse level managers were against us. They were questioning our actions until they saw people taking videos of the situation and then they started to they started to give us food or water this was the very basic example that the company cares about their image but not the riders not the workers yeah i mean people were like chanting slogans etc i don't know like it was it was it was a very nice it was a very um nice atmosphere um, it was also like a time when uh, people would start like openly start like arguing with uh, managers about well what's going on like why is it why like questioning uh, the working conditions openly um, and yeah. not feeling afraid for doing so. But whilst workers might have for the first time felt free to express dissent, one response from management was to discourage workers from attending demonstrations by threatening them with dismissal. In one of the warehouse groups chats, uh, there was this message. So one of the warehouse level managers wrote in the group that if they, if the workers attend as a strike, they will get three warnings. Equal in your termination. Yeah. Um. And also, uh, so we were, of course, we were receiving emails from the management after the strikes and everything, and. In these, in those emails, 
the attitude of the company were most, mostly like accusing the riders, accusing the workers. I asked Zeynep about how this made her feel. Well, it makes us feel angry because we, I mean, the workers basically want to have rights, want to have their own rights, rights want to have their own money. And although they tried to talk to the management about their complaints for a long time, they didn't listen to the demands. And when they want to show our reaction in a different way, because that's the only way apparently that the company hears the workers, they, they are just trying to prevent the workers. There's, it's like they are preventing the freedom of speech. Of course we were angry. <laughs> Ultimately, the strikes were unsuccessful. Of course, in the end, uh, the colleague was not reinstated. And there was also this other thing um, that had to do with the fact that in the previous two days, um, the colleague that got fired, he uh, wanted to take a step back to get the focus off of him and onto the rest of us. Of course, this was clear to us, but um, we wanted actually to achieve so, like a specific like result with this, um, which in the end we never did. Like we did not achieve um, his reinstatement, but what we achieved is for people to see that strikes are like people to see in the company, like workers see that strikes are an effective means to um, contest uh, the decision management decisions. Because before these strikes, we were trying to reach the management about about our problems several times. Uh, we had a lot of problems like bicycles, problematic bicycles, payment issues, or serious things, more serious things like sexual harassment or racial discrimination. So I can say that uh, Santiago's situation, of course, was important and it was a triggering point for us to continue our actions. One of the key issues that Yasha and Zainat point at is that they do not have the ability to effectively communicate with management. They have no ability to speak to an individual in person, nor do they have specific contact people with whom they can address problems. There is a rider support section of the company, but you can only communicate with them via email. And you write to them and you get like a template answer. And a lot of the times you have to like send them paragraphs from the labor law in German in order to prove your point because otherwise they don't listen or don't do anything about it. One of the impacts of the strikes was that it opened up a discourse as management finally took notice of workers. It started with the calling of an all-hands meeting by the CEO, Khan Sumer. And we thought it's going to be a place where we can ask questions and get answers. But actually, it was just a monologue for 15 minutes. Um, he was talking about himself and how great the company is without really addressing concerns. There was a possibility. There was like this. It was on Zoom. So there was he made there were, the comment section was turned off. But the FAQ section, like you could ask questions there. I, I wrote a few questions, never really got an answer for them. He was basically accusing of like, External, like making um, gorillas political, and um, that it was all external parties involved, which is, I mean, pretty similar to like, unlike Erdogan's discourse or anyone else's discourse that, like, these are not citizens, these are terrorists. It was kind of like that, like, these are not workers, these are like uh, left wing extremists or something. Well, what we're asking for is like literally following the labor law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually, our demands are not something extreme or something illegal. 
These are basic workers' rights. We uh, created a demand list with the workers when the CEO uh, attended <laughs> some of our protests. And we set a deadline for these uh, demands and we gave the demands to the management. And the deadline is actually almost over, but we didn't get any proper reply to our demands. And the demands are very basic. We, basic. we know that this company has a lot of money, but why the riders, why the workers are struggling? In addition to the All Hands meeting, Suma did actually meet with a large group of workers to answer some of their questions and hear their concerns on a street outside one of the company warehouses. So, um, so first of all, we are here all to listen, and but most importantly, we are we are here to act. And you know, I'm sincere about changing many things, and we have changed many things. And we have a crisp plan that we shared with you. We can share it again. You know, like the uh, there's a QR code. You can you can look at it. And like we are literally going all in to change things, and we need to keep this. Yeah, he didn't have a proper response to anything. Like he kept on consulting with his, uh, um, I don't know, like his other guy who was with him. Uh, he couldn't really reply to any questions that affected us directly. Like things like why are why is this this way? Why are you not paying the minimum contract hours? Why are um, uh, bikes unsuitable for work? Why don't you invest more in this? Like there were no answers actually. And yeah, in the end, he kind of escaped, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so we were just suffering all six months. We send you open letters about our problems, but you were busy with expanding. Can you explain like why it was easy to open up a new branch in London instead of changing the bikes or improving the conditions? Why did you pay attention non-equally? You know, like you know, you got to know it by yourself and with your crew. But we know that was unfair. And before you change this whole perception about everything, we're not going to stop because your attention clearly is not on us. It's on expanding and making more money. Maybe it's not yours and investors, but you got to talk to them. Guys, we can lose this shit if you don't take care of it because this is Berlin. This is Europe. You know, this is not the same as you can just take people out come immigrants. I'm going to give you some food. Okay, gig economy, whatever. No, this is not enough for us. You know, we want what our work is valued, like what value of our work is. We go to customers every day and day, 60 kilometers every day with bike, on a bike, in the summer, in the winter. And right. the winter was not prepared for us. We didn't have jackets, we didn't have proper shoes, nothing. You could have thought about it in the summer instead of opening new branches or planning new branches, you know? Like, I just wonder, like, kind of, from for some people, they would say the CEO has, has come down and he is listening to you and he's engaging with you like to what extent do you feel like you were listened to um and to what extent do you feel that you weren't listened to do you feel like you were able to voice your concerns and that he was listening and that he would action them when during that meeting yeah physically i mean he's he was actually yes listening to us but i can always know not when somebody's speaking and pretend like i'm listening it was definitely coming into one year and coming out of the other. So, like, I don't think, honestly, that the purpose of the confrontation was to tell the CEO what's wrong, but rather to show to the public that, like, discussions are not the solution. Because, I mean, nobody was writing anything down or, like, there were 1,000 different concerns that were voiced and uh, there was just, like, a lot of nodding and... Uh, 
interruption and trying to uh, reply with more corporate BS to them, but um, there were no uh, specific points that were addressed. Nor there, nor afterwards in their, their communiques or whatever. Yeah, uh, he also congratulated us on fighting for our rights, yeah. uh, which is really ironic given that, I mean, <laughs> that we have to fight for rights and not privileges or something else. I mean, we're fighting like it's like the most basic things that we have to demand and that are not given, you know. A big thank you to Zeynep and Yasha for telling their story. I was first put onto this story by Oz Alyanak, a postdoctoral researcher at Fairwork. Oz has been attending demonstrations in Berlin for several months now and getting to know some of the workers. I caught up with him and talked to him about his recent work with Gorillaz Riders in Berlin. So Oz, you have been attending these protests in Berlin for several months now. Um, and all of the soundscapes that we've heard and all of the sounds of the different protests are directly lifted from footage which you've recorded yourself from attending. Um, and I just wondered if, to start off with, for those of us who haven't been there and haven't been in Berlin uh, witnessing it for ourselves, what was it like taking part? What did it look like? Um, yeah, could you just give us a picture, paint us a picture? Yeah, sure, Robbie. So a couple of months ago, we decided to add Gorillas to our evaluation for this year. And that was a decision that we took as the Germany team because we felt like Gorillas was growing uh, at a very fast pace. Actually, right now, it's the second um, most valuable startup um, in delivery in uh, Europe, if I'm not mistaken. So they are not just in Germany anymore. They're expanding really fast. And that is a great thing, I guess, from the business perspective, but from the workers' perspective, it's caused also a lot of troubles. Um, one of the big ones is payments, for example, that are being delayed because uh, from my understanding, they don't have the infrastructure to manage such big growth at this point, which is, as I said, you know, shouldn't be a worker's problem. It's a management problem that needs to be solved. So uh, we decided to include Gorillas a couple of months ago. And uh, right after that, I started, um, see, I, I was already seeing Gorillas workers around the city. So I, I started getting interested in what's happening with Gorillas, how, how things are, are going to be managed. Um, and I started uh, on social media seeing calls for collective action. So something was happening and I want to see what was happening. And the best way to see that is to go to these demonstrations, first of all, especially when you're starting research new where you don't know anyone from Gorillaz and of workers side to, to communicate with. So about two months ago, I remember going to the first demonstration uh, right in my neighborhood actually in Prenzlauer Bag. So that was two months ago. And after that, um, realizing that uh, the the demand the demand for Santi to be reinstated in business was not put in practice by the, by the Gorillaz management. The workers organized another strike, but um, this time the strike had not just Santi as its main objective, but also a list of demands from the management: demands pertaining to working conditions, demands pertaining to fair contracts, fair pay. Demands that uh, are, are relevant for collective action and fair representation. So the principles that we as Fair Work are focusing on. So I was interested in what was going on. So as usual, I went to the demonstration, which was also close by to me, and uh, in a in a big warehouse, which uh, I believe is the Gorillas headquarters actually in Berlin. 
And I went there and in this demonstration, there were also a lot of people. In the first one as well, there were a lot of people, a lot of workers, a lot of uh, community organizers coming in solidarity. But also interesting was the CEO was there. Mr. Khan Sumer, uh, the CEO of um, Gorillaz, was there. And um, it, was, it was fascinating for me to see him being there because, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a brave action, you know, to be able to face your workers face to face in a demonstration. So kudos to him for doing that. But also shame on him for not taking into consideration any of the demands that were raised at that, at that meeting. Um, and what happened was there were a lot of workers basically um, shouting at him, we want this, you know, we want better bikes. Look at me, I just fell from my bike and uh, I hurt my knee, I hurt my leg. Something needs to be done about this. It's not, the case is not that these workers are not insured. They are, but the case is that they basically fall from their bikes because the bikes are malfunctioning or they fall from their bikes because Gorilla says that the deliveries have to be or claims in their advertisements that the deliveries are going to be made within 10 minutes. 10 minutes on a bike from the warehouse to uh, the customer's door is, is a short time. You really have to pace yourself. You really have to, if necessary, break a lot of laws. They wanted things like um, the warehouse, especially older warehouses, are not state-of-the-art. They don't have good ventilation. They don't have good air conditioning. These are rights that need to be demanded because you don't want to be sweating inside when you're trying to pick your deliveries and start transporting them. They wanted things like, as I mentioned, better maintenance for the bikes. They wanted things like um, better backpacks, and more comfort- comfortable ergonomic backpacks. Uh, they also wanted um, better rain gear. This is Berlin we're talking about. It rains in the summer and you don't know when it's going to rain. And when it rains, it really rains. It really pours. Because these are things that you need to be provided with in order to work properly, in order to be an efficient worker. If you're going to work um, where you have to put plastic uh, bags uh, over your shoes, I don't see that as a healthy business model, to be honest. It, it, to me, it just sounds... Uh, that, the, that the management doesn't care about their workers. The list of demands was presented to management and the CEO at the protest held outside of Gorilla's headquarters, with a time frame of two weeks for them to be addressed. This state passed without any changes or concrete plans to implement changes set out by management. So all these demands were made two weeks ago. None of them were addressed. So uh, in the meantime, Gorilla's workers uh, are in the process of forming a workers' council to get uh, a a legitimate body of representation to talk on behalf of the the larger body of workers. So the Gorilla's um, workers' council and workers' alliance, they were um, discussing what the next step should be, which ended up, um, came into fruition in this week's demonstration. So this Saturday, uh, last Saturday, the, the Gorillaz workers and other uh, community supporters and researchers such as myself, we decided to attend this. So we went to Kreuzberg to the first warehouse where at 11.30 in the morning, we were all on, a, on our bikes simply because we had to, we wanted to go from one warehouse to the next and be in solidarity with the workers that are working there. invite them to come out and join us. So that our demands are clear to them as well as the management as well. 
and uh, we ended up also disrupting work. Um, all of these warehouses had to be uh, had to cease operations when we were protesting outside. So we ended up traveling to four different warehouses. In all four, operations were ceased during the time, the two, three hours that we spent in each, where, um, uh, where we were protesting. And in the last two houses, uh, warehouses, um, another one in Kreuzberg and the big one in Friedrichshain, we actually closed the warehouses for the rest of the day. So around after 8.30 or so, the, um, the warehouse manager said, okay, you know, we're going to stop uh, deliveries for the rest of the day which was great because that meant that we could actually spend a beautiful Saturday night with, um, with other workers and uh, just socialize with them. So this was a big win. This, this Saturday's demonstration was a big win. Um, it, it, I, I saw the, the practical um, uh, aspects of that win in terms of how workers came in solidarity together. It was also a very good chance for Gorilla's workers that are attending these demonstrations to communicate with other workers that might, that, that might be frightened to attend these demonstrations or that might, that, who may not have an interest in attending these demonstrations to hear out why, we're, why they are doing, why the Gorilla's workers are doing what they're doing. But also just to add to this, there's also a metaphorical or symbolic aspect to this weekend's demonstration because two weeks ago in the in that other demonstration i i, I was talking about <clears throat> when the demands were laid out and when the ceo said that we're going to put it into consideration what happened was weird what happened was the the ceo mr khan sumer had sent an email a letter to all the gorillas workers which didn't make sense to anyone which was, I mean, it, it didn't make sense because it wasn't basically saying that this demonstration was bad. You know, if he said that, that would make sense. He said something about how we are a part of a team. Like there are two, two really interesting things. How we are a part of a team and we are a three, he says. And there's a Turkish saying for it, he adds. We're a three that produces apples, not just apples, but delicious organic apples, whatever. And... Uh, and then there are always going to be people that are going to be throwing stones at this tree to kill it, right? And those people that are throwing stones, you can extrapolate this argument, are the demonstrate, demonstrators, right? The protesters that are basically telling uh, gorillas to, to provide better working conditions. So that was one thing that he said. A tree that produces apples, delicious apples. Great. The second thing was that he used this um, analogy of be the ghost, be the flame. Now, this is apparently some pickup artist's um, um, wording. Uh, I don't really know what it's what it relates to. Okay, so I've done a bit of digging into this. And ghost and flame are concepts that come from a book called Revelation by the pickup artist Eric von Markovic, also known as Mystery, and relates to different elements of how you can respond and act in certain social situations. But he just brought it in and said that, you know, you guys be the ghosts and be, you know, don't be a part of all this, like, all this dissonance, all this, like, outside voice, which is, once again, the protesters. But be the flame, be burning and keep on working. <laughs> so, uh, once again, the metaphor didn't make any sense to any of us, except for Mr. Consumer, the CEO, I believe. And then he also says in that letter... Don't be mad. Take a deep breath. Like, and I'm like, what? 
how can I not be mad if I'm falling from my bike? How we, how do you expect me to be um, to 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 take a deep breath and just like carry on? Like this to me does not make any sense as a researcher that is looking at what's happening at gorillas because I see firsthand uh, the 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 the, the, uh, the problems that these workers are facing when they are trying to make the deliveries. So taking a deep breath is not going to solve anything. So this weekend's demonstration once again was also in response to this kind of gibberish, this kind of if you know you don't mind me saying this kind of bullshit that is like put out by the management. What they want to see being put out is actual words that address the demands that they make. Not just words, but also words that are put in practice that would be better. Yeah, 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 definitely. And it's it's really interesting to think about the footage that you got from from that meeting and, and watching it. One of the moments that really stood out to me um, was a moment where the CEO pulls out his tattoo of a bike uh, and starts talking about how he's a dedicated rider and kind of tries to use that as a vehicle to kind of claim some kind of solidarity and shared experience with the riders. I love that, you know, you stand for what, what, what you believe in. And I again tell what I believe in. I'm a rider by heart. I have this tattoo here and this is for a reason. So, and I think the kind of idea which he's trying to get at is the idea of work as a kind of a lifestyle choice um, completely kind of writes out the social relations involved within the work itself it's it's a great advertisement gimmick right that work is fun that work is flexible that work is easy work is something that you already do because you already ride your bike look i ride my bike as well i'm a rider at heart or by heart or whatever way he put it in that in that demonstration while he was showing his tattoo I mean, it's great, you know, biking is great. At least you're not sitting at a, at a, at a cubicle and, you know, doing an eight to five kind of work. You know, that, that we can argue is bad in its own ways. That we can argue is bad for your physical and mental health. We, we already know that there are already studies that show that, right? We, we know that. So what the, these, many of these platforms, especially the ones that are doing like delivery, couriers, etc., are claiming is that this is a healthy kind of work. This is a fun kind of work. This is the kind of work that is not work. That's basically what they're trying to get at. And that is outright bullshit. That is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because work and fun or work and life are separate things. You cannot simply just collide them into one. The moment you do that, then work starts to get really expansive and starts to take away space from life. And this is exactly what's happening with many of these workers. It does take away space from life. If you're writing for eight to 10 hours a day, which can be the case in some days, when you go home, you don't really have much of an opportunity to enjoy life anymore because you're tired. Like we're not talking about what happens outside work, but work keeps on, like it seeps into other aspects of life. It seeps into your leisure. It seeps into your downtime. It seeps into your fun time. So being a writer at heart for the CEO might be a great thing. I mean, he might really love, enjoy, he might really enjoy riding his bike around the city. He might be a big, big biker that just like does 
hundreds of kilometers every day for his leisure. But when he's doing that, he's not riding with a backpack that is 10 kilos or more. He's not riding on a crappy bike where the seat might be moving and jiggly or the, or the, or the bars might be falling out, off or the brakes may not be working, which is a big issue with, with some of these bikes. So when you are doing that, that is not just biking leisurely, right? That is biking for work. So biking itself is no longer a fun experience. Biking is not, itself is not a great experience when the, the, the rain is pouring. Mm. It's not a great experience when it's like minus five degrees outside. I mean, you might take pleasure out of that. You might be a CrossFit person, you know, I'm gonna battle all of this, great. But, you know, that's something that you do for fun in your free time, not when you are, you have to pace through um, from warehouse to, to the customer's door to make the deliveries. There's a big difference. So I understand what Mr. Khan Sumer is saying. The CEO is saying that this, you know, the kind of work we do is different, but I don't, it's different. It's not a cubicle work, sure. But I don't agree at all with, with the rhetoric that work is fun and work is something that you guys already do because you're all writers at heart. And just to add to that as well, I think what it does is it, it normalizes dangerous working conditions and has the impact of deflecting responsibility away from the company itself. If this is a lifestyle choice, uh, it's a decision which you've gone into using your own autonomy um, rather than a set of workplace conditions which are fundamentally set by management itself and which you have to enter into. That is, that you, you're very right, Robbie. And, um, and it's, as I said, it's a good ad gimmick in the sense that it actually brings a lot of workers to work for companies like Gorillas. They want to work because they think that it's going to be not the boring type of jobs that they might be getting otherwise. At least I'm going to be outside riding my bike. Like these are things that they, they, they bring up when you, when you ask them. Um, but the moment, especially those workers that have been working long enough, the moment they realize that things are not working the way they envisioned them to work, the moment they realize that the bikes are malfunctioning, the moment they realize that some of the warehouses don't have ventilation and air conditioning, the moment they realize that just to um, make the deliveries within the, within the 10 minutes, they have to pace and they have to put their lives at risk, it does start to, to me, um, look more and more like any other type of work that has physical and mental effects. And it does, as you have mentioned, normalize the risks that are associated with work. And um, this brings us to the issue that it's the management's responsibility to mitigate the risks, not to normalize them, not to say that because it's fun, because you are writers at heart, because you're brave, because you're the ghost, the fire, the flame, that you, know, you are sort of like born into this kind of world where you can do this. And... That to me is a very problematic aspect, a very problematic statement by, by, the, by the CEO. And, uh, I, and I think it needs to be more, uh, we need to be more vocal about it because this is once again, not just a gorillas problem. This is a problem that we see across many different platforms. So we have to bring up this issue with each platform as favorite researchers um, and make sure that risks are not normalized, but they're mitigated. So one thing I wanted to talk to Oz about is this amazing meme Instagram page run by members of the Gorillas workforce in Berlin. The memes are mainly about working conditions within Gorillas. Mr. Burns laughing with the caption CEO after listening to Ryder's petition for better working conditions. 
Or a Powerpuff girl hanging up the phone with the caption, Rider Support Answering Mail. For me, it struck me as a really interesting organising tactic. I asked Oz about it, and he started his answer with an important clarification. Once again, we need to, we need to clarify that not all workers are part of the demonstration. Not all workers are showing solidarity with us. Not all workers are affected equally also by the working conditions, because the working conditions differ from warehouse to warehouse. But the memes actually picked up pace after that letter that I was mentioning, um, the statement from the CEO saying, be the ghost, be the flame. So as you would expect, you know, in this meme age, everything can just like be reappropriated in different ways. And when you provide a, a, a statement that's so vague and doesn't really make any sense, you end up getting pictures from him and the skeleton guy, you know, like, you know, flaming up on a bike, you know, you could be getting like ghosts that are just like wandering around the city and just like, <laughs> and it's absurd. And there's a lot of value in, in that absurd aspect of the memes. You can also see um, graffiti. I mean, this is Berlin we're talking about, especially uh, around Kreuzberg house, uh, warehouses, or Neukölln warehouses, where you see a lot of graffiti. You see graffiti with ghosts that are on flame. You see, um, what else do you see? You see a lot of stickers. Um, one of the social media pages, Instagram pages, Gorilla's Writers, um, I believe it's called, has stickers all over the city. Now you see it everywhere. You see these stickers on the warehouses. You see the demands next to it as well, just like posted in there. You see, um, I mean, I was really amazed. I, I actually took a couple of pictures of it, but probably quite poor ones, sadly. Um, when I was in the Friedrichshain warehouse, which was our last stop, which where we closed the warehouse for the rest of the day, on the ground, someone um, spray painted, not for that day, in that day, but long before from what I could gather, saying that uh, something along the lines of gorillas workers demand uh, and uh, deserve these rights. So it's, it's a big one right in front of the warehouse where the trucks sometimes have to park to, to make the deliveries, the warehouse itself. When the trucks, trucks leave, you see on the ground engraved this like beautiful statement, which is basically a statement right in your face. As a worker, as you're going to that warehouse, you kind of read that, you walk through it. And uh, these are things, the, the memes, the social media um, outreach, the, the, the way the city is graffitied all over, the stickers, the, the spray paint, all becomes a part of the, the, uh, the, the call uh, for, for awareness, the call for solidarity. And you see this, you've been seeing this more and more in Berlin in the last couple of weeks because of all the attention that these demonstrations are garnering um, across media, but also across researchers such as ourselves. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting to think about how those tactics themselves kind of form the basis for facilitating collective bargaining. Um, just to think about the memes themselves, I think what was really interesting reading through them and the kind of what feels like the function of the page itself is kind of building this sense of kind of collective experience. A lot of them talk about conditions and the issues that riders have within their work, uh, within their working day. And it feels like they are kind of aiming to create this sense that the issues you face as an individual are shared. And it was really interesting to think about that as a kind of new strategy deployed um, within the kind of 
formation of more formalized collective bargaining and trade unionism. It is. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, at this point, um, the Workers' Collective is in conversation with different unions for representation. But um, one thing that I need to add that I heard from workers themselves is that these unions actually came into the picture quite late. The unions were not, were not there from the start. They actually kind of piggybacked once the demonstrations started taking place and they realized something big is happening here. So that is a problem. I think this issue should have been picked up by unions much earlier. I mean, it's been months we're talking about, four or five months even that uh, there was already some kind of like plan of organizing something around this, this idea that workers ha- need to have their rights at Gorillas. Why that is the case, I don't know. I have to talk to the unions about it. Um, but uh, there is a bit of like, I think some of the workers are a bit, are a bit sad that unions are coming to picture late. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that's probably like a really good point to ask the question of kind of what do you think the future holds for the kind of guerrillas movement, both within Germany and beyond? Well, I think it's the, the movement is growing. You can see that. And as it, as it grows, it's becoming more and more successful. Just because the management didn't respond to the demands yet does not mean that it will not. It will have to. It will have to respond because... I don't think the management can deal with strikes on a weekly basis or bi-weekly basis. Every time a warehouse is closed down, every time operations are seized, they're losing money and they know that. And a response that says, don't strike, don't attend a demonstration is just gonna be laughed at because that's the way to go. Um, And I think as the movement grows and as unions become a part of this, I think it's gonna be brought up um, to to the politicians as well. In fact, in a couple of days, on Wednesday this week, uh, one of the representatives for the Labour Ministry is going to be having a conversation with the Gorillaz Workers Collective in front of one of the warehouses. Is the CEO of Gorillaz going to be there? We don't know yet. But it's it's great because that means that politicians have also started listening right now. And some of these demands that the workers are making are not just relevant to gorillas alone, but to the entire platform economy and the way it's structured. And as we know, platform economy is something relatively recent. So a lot of these uh, ministries need to know what's happening in order to implement policies that are going to make work a better, a fairer experience for a lot of these workers. Thanks to Oz, Zeynep and Yasha. At Fair Work, we believe that all work can and should be characterised by fair pay, fair conditions, fair contracts, fair management and fair representation. Platforms ultimately have the power to improve standards and the ability to choose to. For workers to meaningfully have a voice in determining their working conditions, they must be able to bargain with the platform for a collective or representative body without fear of reprisals or dismissal. Platforms can take a proactive approach to representation by recognising existing organisations where they do exist and entering into negotiations in good faith. We're actively campaigning to improve the conditions for gig workers around the world and hold platforms to account. You can find out more at fair.work. This episode was written and produced by Robbie Waring with composition by Louis Bollet and additional composition by Robbie Waring.
Management, you are a shame. Be the ghost, be the flame. Management, you are a shame.